the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith.com. W262CP, Bayonet Point. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. What if you really want to obey the Lord Jesus, but you keep just fouling things up? Obstacles get in the way of obeying him. You know what? Welcome to the club. Everybody has that. Every believer in Christ has that. Nobody ever obeyed the Lord without obstacles, without bumps along the road. Obedience is never a smooth road. The best of intentions just will not cut it. You have to work at obeying the Lord Jesus. Roger Staubach was one of the all-time great quarterbacks and led the Dallas Cowboys to several championships. But in all Roger's years behind the center, Coach Tom Landry never let Roger call the plays. And that really bugged Roger. He knew Landry was a football genius, but as quarterback, he thought he should call the plays. Even though it was a real trial for him, Roger said that when he learned to obey, the team experienced harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are an extension of that ministry. As we learn about King David, we have been seeing the various lessons he learned during his life. Today and in the following two classes, we will be studying from 2 Samuel chapter 6. David was an amazing man. God called him a man after his own heart. But David struggled in a few areas, one of which was obedience. Let's go to the Word now and see how we can apply to our own lives the lessons learned by this great king. One of the great songs of the faith says that we are to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Isn't that true? Isn't that a great, great statement? There is no other way to really be happy in in this world in Jesus Christ, except by trusting him and by obedience to him. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, where he said, blessed, which basically means happy, joyful. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. If you want to really be happy, you hear the word of God and you put it into practice. John is, uh, Revelation is opening up in John, in Revelation chapter one, rather verse three, John says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the, the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. So it's not enough to hear it. We need to hear it. We need to put it into practice and we're blessed or, or happy. So according to the word of God, a truly happy person is one who hears God's word and obeys it in his life, which would tend to indicate why so many believers in Christ are really not happy because they're not obedient. Disobedience brings guilt. It brings regret. It brings burdens. And that's where many Christians are at. 
But I want to ask you this, this morning as we begin, and we're continuing our study on David, but I want to just lay this out before you. What if you really want to obey the Lord Jesus? What if you're, the, the desire of your heart is to obey him, but you keep just fouling things up? Obstacles get in the way of obeying him. What if you really are set on following Christ, but things just keep coming up that make obedience difficult? You know what? Welcome to the club. Everybody has that. Every believer in Christ has that. Nobody ever obeyed the Lord without obstacles, without bumps along the road. Obedience is never a smooth road. The best of intentions just will not cut it. You have to work at obeying the Lord Jesus. And there's one Bible character who stands out in, in my mind who, uh, who's like that, who knew about obstacles and uh, knew that obstacles had to be overcome before arriving at genuine obedience, and that is King David. And so I'd like you to start getting your Bibles ready to study 2 Samuel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, we'll, uh, we'll lay a foundation for it. David understood because he had some hard lessons to learn about genuine obedience, and that's really the hard lessons that we need to learn, and Lord willing, we're going to learn it this morning. Last week, we left David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, where he was, remember, he was strengthening himself in the Lord, it said. He was strengthening himself in the Lord. Why? Let me tell you what led up to this. Remember that David, for a while, has lived amongst the Philistines. He's really in a backslidden condition. He, he is afraid of Saul, which he never needed to be afraid of Saul. He needed to trust the Lord because God's word said to him that you, David, are the anointed next king of Israel. But David, in a time of weakness, spiritual weakness, left Israel, fled from the presence of Saul, and went to the country of the Philistines, which is right next to Israel, the land of the Philistines. And he's lived amongst them. And... Uh, he says that he's, he's really one of them, and uh, really it's a terrible time in his life. We saw this last week. He, he lied. Um, he's really out of fellowship with the Lord. And so now the Philistines are getting ready to march against the Israelites. The Philistines are coming from one direction. The Israelites are coming from another direction, and David is in trouble. He can't fight against his own people. And he's really, he's really trapped. He said he was like a loyal Philistine and uh, he lied and said that he was attacking the Jewish people. And so the, uh, uh, the king says, hey, that's good. Now he'll come and he'll attack his own people. And David can't do that or God's going to attack him. You don't, you don't do that. So uh, other of the uh, Philistine leaders said, we don't like this. We don't like all these Hebrews amongst us. What, in the, what if in the midst of battle they turn against us? And uh, no, you, and they told one of the kings, you tell him he's gone. Get out of here. We don't want you to help us. And so uh, David, by, by God's mercy, is out of that predicament. So he heads back with his 600 men. He heads back to the city that the king of Gath gave him, only to find that the Amalekites had swooped in and taken all the women, the wives, the children, and uh, they're out of here. Nobody's left. David doesn't know what's happened. His men don't know what's happened. And his men uh, are so angry at him that they say, we're going to kill you. We're going to stone you to death because you led us into this. And that's where we left David. He is strengthening himself in the Lord. Maybe for the first time in about a year and a half, he has really cried out to God and he's repenting. We would call it in New Testament terminology. He is repenting at this point. He's, he's turning from his sin. He's crying out for God's help. 
And uh, then David is invigorated. Obviously, the men don't kill him. David is invigorated. He leads his men to uh, pursue the Amalekites. They find them. They kill them. They rescue their wives and their children. And uh, he's brought back. However, in the meantime, the Philistines are fighting the Israelites. And at that battle, King Saul is killed, as well as Jonathan, his son. And at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, David is lamenting their deaths, and it's a very sad time. But we don't want to really study that because we're not here to study so much the life of Saul and Jonathan as we are to study the life of David. But what comes out of all of this is that after Saul and Jonathan are killed, David becomes the new king. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, Verse 4, and I just gave you a lot of chapters in a very few minutes, but that kind of brings you up to date. In 2 Samuel, we move from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is basically about David's life as king. 1 Samuel is leading up to that. But in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David over the house of Judah. So initially, David does not become the king of Israel over all the tribes. He becomes the king over one tribe, his tribe, the tribe of Judah. And the Bible tells us that he was, uh, was in Hebron. This is a city, by the way, today that you read about in the newspapers. That's a major problem with the Jewish people and the Palestinians, the deployment of troops in Hebron. But back then, David was the king of Judah for seven years And he was uh, in Hebron. So you understand it's a very sacred city to the Jewish people uh, for for other reasons as well. But David was the king in Hebron, the king over Judah. But seven years later, he becomes king over all of Israel. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we read this. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. And the reason, by the way, that he was not king over all the tribes is that one of Saul's sons became the king of other, the other tribes in his place. And then uh, he was killed. And after he was killed, David becomes the king. It said that all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So now, for the first time, David... Uh, is the king over all the tribes. And you know what the first thing he does? Basically, the first thing he does, we read it in verse 6 and 7. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and they said to David, you shall not come in here, but the blind and lame shall turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. What they said is, we're so strong, even our blind and our lame can keep you out. Nothing can penetrate this city of Jerusalem that the Jebusites had. Verse 7 says, nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. In other words, Jerusalem is now under Jewish control. And by the way, just for your knowledge, uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are celebrating uh, this very event that David captured the uh, city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And they are marking that this is uh, 3,000 years 
since David did this. It's a big celebration in, in Israel at this time. So now that David has acquired a capital city, Jerusalem, he's acquired a capital city, he wanted to make it the religious center of the land as well. Uh, David was not just a political leader, he was a religious leader. And for this, he needed to bring one object in particular to Jerusalem, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me explain. The Ark of the Covenant is not to be confused with Noah's Ark. The reason I say that is because some think that. Not to be confused with Noah's Ark. You just hear the word Ark and you think, oh, it's the same thing. Uh, no, Noah's Ark was a boat. The Ark of the Covenant was a small wooden chest overlaid with gold inside and gold outside. Its lid was called the mercy seat. It's very important. It was called the mercy seat, and it, it consisted of two gold angels with wings outstretched, little statues of gold angels with wings outstretched. And between those wings, God said, I will meet with you. I will meet with you between those wings on the, at the mercy seat. In other words, the ark was the visible symbol of God's presence. That's where he said, Israel, I will specifically meet with you. Now, obviously, that's an important uh, thing to have. Important thing to have, especially if you're going to make the capital city a religious center. You want to have the, the, uh, the place where God said he would meet you right there. One Bible teacher explained it this way. Israel had become spiritually malnourished under Saul's reign. The tabernacle had deteriorated. Its furnishings had been scattered. The worship itself had become virtually meaningless. Since God's presence was associated with the tabernacle furnishings, the people of Israel no longer felt his nearness as Israel's new king, David, wanted to reestablish the center of worship to renew his people's fear of God and fatten their spiritual fervor. Reestablishing tabernacle worship meant gathering the scattered articles of furniture and arranging them according to the order God gave in Exodus 25. The most important piece of a, of tabernacle, of a tabernacle furniture was the Ark of the Covenant, the very place where God met his people. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read all about that. It's really, and you must turn there now, it is about David bringing the Ark of, of the Covenant to Jerusalem. This was the right thing to do. This was the obedient thing to do. How do we, how do we know that? Uh, you don't need to turn there, but let me read to you from Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, God said before... They ever knew where this was to take place. God said, eventually, when you get in the land, I want you to keep this in mind. Three times in a year, all your male shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So he said, look, there's going to be three festivals that all the males, uh, 20 and up, are to go and present their offerings and so forth. But the question was, where? Where do you go? Where in the land? Now, for the first time, they know it's Jerusalem. That's where the tabernacle is going to be. That's eventually where the permanent temple is going to be. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's why David's got to transport it there. Now he knows it's Jerusalem. So this was God's will. There is no question about this, that David was being obedient to the Lord to take the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. But that's easier said than done. It's easier said than done because as we go through chapter 6, and this is what the, real, what the chapter is really about. This is the message. As we go through chapter 6, we're not simply given a historical, uh, historical information about that. 
God could have said it very easily if that's all he wanted. He could have said, and the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem, but he didn't. As we go through chapter 6, we'll see two obstacles that David had to overcome in order to really be obedient to God, to be completely obedient, to be genuinely and fully obedient. And you know what's interesting is that these are two obstacles that we face today. You and I face the same obstacles in being fully obedient to the Lord our God. In other words, these are lessons that we need to learn about what it means to really obey God. Some of us think that we're obeying God, as David did, but we're not really. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at the first obstacle that we have in overcoming, uh, um, first obstacle really that we have to overcome in obeying God, and that is incomplete obedience. This is a very subtle obstacle, and you, you really need to pay attention on this. It is subtle, but it's very, very real, and you need to allow the Spirit of God to, uh, to convict you and deal with you on where your obedience might be incomplete. As chapter 6 opens up, we read this. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of the covenants on a new cart that they might bring it from the, from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and uh, Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it up with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the, the uh, house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of uh, fir wood and, and uh, lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Now, as this chapter opens up, we learn that David has decided to transfer the Ark of the Covenant from the home of Abinadab, which was in a place called Baal Judah, also known as Kiriath-Jerim, same place. It was about 10 miles west of Jerusalem, and David has decided to bring this up, this Ark of the Covenant, to Jerusalem. That was a major event. Major event. You know why? Because from other uh, scriptures, we learn that the Ark of the Covenant... Uh, has been separated from the tabernacle and other places of worship for you know how many years? About a hundred years. It wasn't that just yesterday it wasn't here. It wasn't that just a few weeks ago we lost sight of it. It was for a hundred years. And you know how, how this had happened? If you look back at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5, gives you some insight. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10, there was a... Um, a war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And um, the Ark of the Covenant went into the hands of the Philistines. But notice what happened. It says in verse 10, as they're battling or they're about to battle, so they sent the Ark of God to Ekron, and it happened as the Ark of God came to Ekron. That is the Israelites sent it there. That the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the Ark of the God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. The background of this is that the Israelites said, look, we're losing the war. Let's send the Ark of the Covenant there. You know what they were doing? That's called magic. That's called superstition. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant there and we'll win the battle. And that's very, very superstitious. And God denounced that and they didn't win the battle. They didn't win the battle, even though these people cried out. Chapter 6 
Verse 1, now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months because the Philistines, as we read, got the ark of the covenant. The Jewish people brought it into battle. They lost the battle and they lost the ark of the covenant. And now the Philistines have it. And that's terrible. That's horrible. Verse 7 of chapter 6. Now, therefore, take and prepare a new cart and two uh, milch cows on which there has never been a yoke and hitch the cows to the cart and take these calves home away from them. You know what happened? While the Ark of the Covenant was in the country of the Philistines, horrible things happened to them. Horrible things. You know what they said? Get rid of it. Get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. We don't want it. It's as if they were saying, even though we do not believe in luck, it was as if they were saying it's bad luck for us. Get it out. But the Jewish people were no better. They said it's good luck for us. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't work either way. Verse 9, it says, And watch, if it goes up by way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then uh, he has done this great evil. That, that is, if it goes this way, we'll know God is doing this. But if not, then we'll know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Well, it turns out that it goes where... Uh, where, uh, they, where it would show that God was in it, and it comes to a place, Beth Shemesh. And uh, notice verse 19. He struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. They looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all the people, over 50,000 men, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. If you've ever seen the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's kind of something. You don't look into the ark of the covenant, even though that's just a Hollywood uh, production and wasn't really biblically accurate. Uh, it, it's kind of like that. The people of this, of this area uh, opened the lid and looked into it, and that was forbidden, and, uh, and so God struck them down. It says in verse 20, and the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he, uh, shall he go up from us? So uh, they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down now and take it up to you. Chapter 7, verse 1, the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And you know what? It's been there all these days. It's been there for years and years and years until this day that David says, put it in a cart, have your uh, two, probably his grandsons, Uzzah and Ahio, lead it, and bring it up to Jerusalem. And what he did is he gathered uh, 30,000 soldiers to make sure that no enemy would attack them and uh, bring up the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. Now, that was a happy time. It was a nice time for David. Uh, verse 5, as we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5 says that they were celebrating by singing and musical instruments until the party ended. The party is over in verses 6 and 7 because we read this. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. In other words, as they were traveling along uh, with the ark of the covenant in a cart, they came upon a rough piece of road, and the oxen stumble that was leading the cart, and it looked like the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall out, and Uzzah reached 
to help it and touched it and to make sure that it stood firmly in its place. And God struck him down dead and he died on the spot. Now you read that and we think, what was that all about? God was angry with this guy because he tried to keep the ark from falling. What kind of a God is this? How do we explain this? Is that any reason to kill him? The man was just trying to help. And God, you strike him down dead? If you think like that and have your doubts about a God who would strike someone down for this, then realize you are not alone. David thought the same thing. We read verses 8 and 9. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, which means that the Lord broke uh, through with a breakthrough, that God did something there. Taken by itself, this passage makes God seem harsh and arbitrary. But in the next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will take us to some verses that explain why God dealt so harshly with Uzzah. As they say, context is everything. And in this case, it takes more than just the local context to make sense of this event. So I hope you can be back for our next class. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And now we at Verse by Verse Ministries present his practical Bible lessons to you, thanks to the prayers and support of our listeners. You can also learn about supporting us through our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Support Us link near the top of the page. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message Pastor Steve began today, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number and we'll return your call during regular office hours. If you Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.